Amen. I spent most of my life as a as an atheist, um, a very militant atheist. You know, I uh, I I didn't like religion in any form, and I had a special you know chip on my shoulder when it came to Christianity. I uh, somehow in my thought process, I thought I was the good guy when I'd go and you know vandalize churches and with my friends, and just I, I thought. Christians were just bad news. I thought they were holding back humanity. I spent most of my time getting high with my friends. I was in a, a couple little bands, you know, and uh, we kind of gloried in the whole chaos. And I was a, a drug addict since since I was probably in middle schools when I first started uh, uh, getting on amphetamines like Adderall and things like that from friends. And it, you know, I eventually moved on to meth and... Uh, you know, I came from a, a Christian family, and my family lived down here. And one day, I just, you know, decided I'd kind of had enough with the the drugs, at least, you know. And uh, I called my family and asked if I could come stay with them down here. I lived in South Carolina, and I uh, asked if I could come stay down here with them, um, you know, and try and dry out, you know, get get clean. They said, yeah, that was fine if uh, I went to this Christian rehab. So, you know, I was like, sure, why not? Um, so I ended up going to the Home of Grace in 2017, uh, went through the program, you know, did what I was supposed to do in the program, didn't get anything out of it, you know. Went straight back to where I was, you know, doing the same things. Got way, way worse. Um, I got arrested about a year later and uh, begged them to let me go back to the Home of Grace just because of the peace you get there, you know, in a, in a Christian environment, um, you know, even though I didn't believe it, it was, it was peaceful. So I went back there and, uh, ended up giving my life to Christ, um, maybe a month into it. And, uh, when it was time for me to, to get out, to graduate, you know, my, my family was so happy with everything I had said to them, but they still, you know, they remembered who I was before. And, uh, so they didn't want me to come home. I feel like they kind of were a little standoffish at first, but uh, they didn't want me to come home, so I needed to go somewhere, and I was a new Christian. You know, so I didn't really know how to be a Christian, and uh, I decided to go to the Joseph's home because I, I wanted to go to a halfway house because I wanted to stay sober, and I needed that kind of structure. And uh, Joseph's home gave me like the... You know, the people, the community, it, it brought me to church here at Michael Memorial. And it just, it really gave me the chance to, to learn how to walk it out, you know, to get a little deeper, you know, what, what comes after the gospel, you know, what else is there. And it, it really gave me that focus that if I hadn't gone through the Joseph's home, I mean, who knows, I could have gone home and, you know, gotten lazy, fallen off the wagon, you know. Joseph's home really gave me that that push and that structure. Um, you know, having people who care about where I am, who care about what I'm doing, who uh, you know want me to go to church, want me to go to celebrate recovery, who, and uh, where I can't just you know I couldn't just shrug it off and be like, ah, not today. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I'll put it off. I'll do it later. You know, and the Joseph's home. Those these are things you have to do, and you do it together as a family. And the Joseph's home. They make you get involved. You know, they, they, you learn how to go to church, really. You know, you learn how to be a part of a Christian community, which is something you have to have. You know, it's, 
it's hard being a Christian on your own, you know? So, of course, while they're growing at the home of grace, they're learning, they're getting fed. You don't want to throw them back out somewhere that they're not going to keep getting fed. And the, the best way is, in my opinion, I, I tell them the Joseph's home because, you know, I'm like, look, they go to church. You're going to be very involved in a church that loves on addicts, you know, um, I remember I was there um, here for Christmas, you know. Uh, they gave, like, all the guys in the house, like, presents and clothes and stuff. And, um, I mean, we always felt really welcomed here. You know, like, we were a part of the church, you know. It's crazy because, one, I never thought I'd be sober. Never thought in a million years I'd be sober. And, uh, you know, you can just forget about being a Christian. Like, that's just something that never would have happened to me. And, uh it's funny because now I work at uh, the Home of Grace in a Christian recovery you know, setting. And uh, it's just, it's crazy what the Lord has done for me, where he's taken me and the, the life he's given me now. Um, like, you, you wouldn't recognize who I was back then with who I am now. It's, it's insane, <laughs> really. <clears throat> Well, good morning, church family. Oh, this is uh, definitely out of my comfort zone, so bear with me. Um, pray with me. Father, we, uh, we come to you today, Lord, as humbly as we know how. Lord, uh, we need you today, Father. We need your strength and your courage to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you... Speak through me with confidence and clarity to your people that they would hear your heart. In your name I pray, amen. Ooh, okay, so uh, for those of you who have, haven't met yet, uh, my name is Jeff York, and I am the uh, director and founder of Joseph's Home, and I also get to serve uh, as a Mississippi State Rep for Celebrate Recovery. And for those of you who don't know what Celebrate Recovery is, it's a 12-step program, a lot like AA and NA. The difference is at Celebrate Recovery, we cover all life-controlling issues, divorce, grief, you fill in the blanks, and, and there's, a, there's a program for it. Uh, our story started here in this church about nine or ten years ago. Um, we came here simply because I got tired of my wife and my best friend hounding me about coming to church. Um, but I didn't walk through that door over there because I wanted to be here. I came here so they would be quiet leave me alone. So we sat right there in that back row. That's a dangerous row to sit in. Don't sit back there. <laughs> and I pointed my knees towards the door in case any of you crazy Christians got too close. I was out, right? So as soon as the altar call was over, out the door I'd go, I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved. Um, we came here, and I was, I was broken and angry. I was lost emotionally and spiritually after years of drug abuse and in and out of the criminal justice system. You know, I walked in those doors as a two-time convicted felon, um, and I was pretty much convinced that my life had, had changed in a way that you know, maybe it, there wasn't any way to come back from all this. Um, I had tried the, the Christian thing as a young person, um, and I was 
in a church that taught that you could lose your salvation if you didn't behave well enough? Well, I had a problem because I'd never behaved well enough in my life. And being a Christian didn't really change all that, right? I got saved and my sin nature was still there. My addiction was still there. And, and this whole idea that I had to say a prayer fast enough at the end of my life to stay saved was, was a problem. Um, so once I'd failed at being a Christian, the only thing I'd ever been good at was being a drug addict and drug dealer. And I went back out after that life with a newfound vengeance. Um, the problem was I was saved. Uh, the problem was before I got saved, I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. Every day after I got saved, I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I did it anyway. So here we are sitting in that back row. I know God is calling me to himself, um, but I never, never expected for him to use me. I was sure that my past had disqualified me. And if you'll take your little card out, the first blanks today will be God rebuilds what is broken. So as God began to rebuild this man on that back row in this church, a lot of things just came at me in ways that I just, I didn't understand. Um, one of those things, in very early on, uh, Brother Tony had me read Nehemiah quite a few times. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me about Nehemiah is it's the story of an ordinary man that God chooses to do, to do something big with. So what did Nehemiah bring to the table? Um, he was a faithful man. He was interested in the people of Israel. He had integrity and discipline. He was trusted by a pagan king to be his cupbearer. But he was also a slave to a Persian king. And as such, he had very little value other than the job that he was chosen to, to do. Uh, he was also a slave that was chosen by God to help the people in a land he didn't know, nor had he ever been. And the question I always came away from was why? Why Nehemiah? After 150 years of captivity to the Persians, the walls of Jerusalem were completely destroyed. The gates were completely destroyed. And that's kind of where we'll pick up today. So if you'll open your Bibles to page uh, 548 in the Pew Bible, we're going to start Nehemiah 1. And this is what the Lord says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came and, a and came he and a certain man of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. The first thing we see is that Nehemiah, he was concerned enough to ask. He was concerned enough to inquire about the people of Israel. Um, it seems today that most people are content not being who God created them to be. They're content to live a life of quiet comfort and contentment. Or as we say, the idol of comfort just takes over their lives. The goal of most people is to live as insulated from the problems of the world around them as possible. 
And in verse 3 we read, And they said unto me, A remnant that are left in captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates therefore are burned with fire. Nehemiah asked about Jerusalem, and when he heard the suffering of his people, his life and his heart was broken forever. In verse 4 it says, It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned a certain, certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The second thing we'll see about Nehemiah today is he cared enough to grieve. He cared enough to grieve. His heart was broken because of the state of the Hebrew people. The people made in the image of God. People who loved, who God loved, who were not living the life that God had intended them to live. And that broke Nehemiah's heart. I knew the pain and suffering that comes with a life of addiction. I knew what it was like to feel like there was no hope for tomorrow. I knew there were people all around me suffering and in need of help. And God began to break my heart for these things, the things that break his heart. What do we do when our hearts are broken? Who do we turn to when we see problems too big for us to fix? See, we see that Nehemiah, he was convicted enough to pray. In verse 5 it says, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayers of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess their sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the words, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you were, faith, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments... And do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to this place, which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, these your servants and your people whom I have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So as Pastor Tony has taught us, prayer is a language of dependence. And our dependence is on God. Prayer is what we do when the obstacles in front of us seem impossible. Nehemiah is just a slave. He has no resources. He has no building experience. He's never run a large construction company. All he knows is that God has burdened his heart for the suffering of the people of Jerusalem. He doesn't start a capital fund raising program. He doesn't print up flyers asking for donations to help rebuild the walls. He prays and asks God to help him do what he believes God is calling him to do. 
So there I am, Sunday after Sunday. God is creating in me a new heart, a heart in tune with him and with the things he's saying to me. Now, what did that look like for me? Well, I couldn't watch Intervention or any TV show that had addiction or homelessness because it would make me feel strong emotions. And for most of us who know addicts well, emotions aren't real good for us. Uh, so I just turned the channel or turned the TV off. It scared me because in my heart I knew what this meant. I just didn't want it to be true. There was too much pain there. I thought I had failed at being a Christian, and as such, I had lost the privilege to be in ministry. And surely, a two-time convicted felon, divorced, that disqualified me, right? But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't shake the feeling that God was up to something. So I kept praying. I kept praying that someone would start a ministry to help struggling addicts. I kept telling God, just show me how you're going, who you're going to use, and I will help them. And ironically enough, when I got bold enough to ask Wade for a job in the church, we were passing each other one Wednesday night in the halls, and I said, hey, Brother Wade, uh, I want to get involved. Is there something I can do? And he stopped and turned around and handed me a book. And I said, that's not what I wanted, man. I want a job. I don't, I don't need a book. He said, well, I was just talking to Pastor Tony, and he gave me this book, and he, wants, he wanted me to read it, so I'm going to give it to you. You read it, and then you get in touch with me and let me know what you think. And I took the book and walked out of the doors over there and got in the car and thought, well, that didn't work. <laughs> so we got home. I threw the book on the coffee table, and I sat there and picked it up one day and started reading it, and it changed my life. It was the leader guide for Celebrate Recovery. And I couldn't wait for Monday so that I could get in touch with Wade and say, hey, we, we need somebody to do this. Some, can you do this? Can you start this here? Can, he said, no, but you can. <laughs> oh, time out. Not it, not it, not it. Right? I had no idea that Pastor Tony had been involved with the Home of Grace for 20 years. I had no idea that he and Wade had prayed for years that God would one day allow them to start a residential recovery program at Michael Memorial. And I certainly didn't know that I was the one God was going to use to do that. Any more than Nehemiah knew that God was going to use him, a nobody slave, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Nehemiah. <laughs> he was a slave whose story was important enough to be recorded in the scripture. I'm a simple man whose heart was broken for a specific people who in most ways are marginalized and forgotten. What makes this church so special is that this is a place that understands that God has called us to love the unlovable. And what started out as me and Tish Letting recovering addicts sleep on our couch, literally, <laughs> has grown into a fully functioning nonprofit ministry. And to date, hundreds of men have come through the Joseph's home and been transformed by the power of God. So, for those of you who answered my call to film videos, thank you. But not everybody could get into today's service. So, to be continued. Uh, but thank you for your 
for your willingness. All of this is because of the generosity and love of support of this church. I've seen what God can do when you take him at his word and see what he can do. He took a broken, drug-addicted, cheater, liar, and thief who was prone to violence and created in him a new story. He created in me a family, a place where he could send people so that they could be safe and loved and given an opportunity to step back from doing and be for a time. Why is that so significant? Because it is out of being a man or woman of God that we have the power to do anything for the kingdom of God. Non-addicted, a husband, a wife, a parent to our children, a church member to this or any other church, a Sunday school or community group leader, a Celebrate Recovery small group leader or sponsor, a productive employee, citizen, or community member. You give us a title, you fill in the blank. Here's what I know about these people. They are some of the most talented, artistic, creative, smart, and generous people you will ever meet. They love to a fault, and they are faithful, even when to do so is uncomfortable or painful. So what's next for Joseph's home? Well, we have some audacious dreams because we have an audacious God. A bigger property for more beds, more staff to love and care for those people who God sends us. We dream about one day having a campus to serve women and children, a couple's court or an area where young couples in recovery can learn to be the family that God created them to be a homeless community for permanent housing for vulnerable or chronically homeless, a garden and animals so that we can get back to cultivating and creating food for ourselves, a workshop for those who are just getting started can earn a dignified wage in their artwork, woodworking, or metalworking. And Tish and I are always praying for the next Jeff and Tish because we can't do this forever. So, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, is there an answer to addiction? Is there an answer to life-controlling issues in people's lives? And my answer is yes, 100% yes. And his name is Jesus Christ, Yahweh Elohim, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only way. He's the hero of this story. Thank you. I had no real roots, and so uh, I quickly um, dove off into all kinds of uh, sin, um, you know, drinking and drugs, um, and not just a little. I'm talking about- you know, this goes on for a long, for a long time, um, where I'm I'm holding jobs and I'm holding successful jobs, but I'm just, you know, I'm still just uh, I'm running hard and I'm doing my own thing. You know, the things that I, the things that drove me so far away from the things that I knew as a child are the things that God used to bring me right back to him because I, I got to a point where I was so miserable. You know, I, I said, you know, basically I just cried out to God and said, I, if you do exist, um, like, show me, help me. And uh, so I sought out 
um, the guy who was my youth pastor. Um, in youth, we had become, you know, really good friends. I laid down on the ground in my youth, uh, Sean was his name, in Sean's office and just cried out to God and said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that for so many years, like, I just, uh, I did everything in my power uh, to to rebel against you. Um, and uh, I know that I need you. I know that you're real. Um, please save me. And uh, so when I was 27 years old, um, God, um, he saved me, and he began to radically do things in my life, but I did not... Um, I was I was not in community. I actually met with a guy um, that I had went to high school with, and our conversation went from me telling him the things that God had done in my life to that day trying methamphetamine for the first time. Crazy. It's hard to explain how quickly my life fell apart again. Went to the um, I went to the home of grace for the first time in. Um, 2018, and so I met Jeff York for the first time um, that time at the Home of Grace. So uh, it was in it would have been uh, February of 2019 when I was getting ready to to be done. So I went and toured Joseph's home, went and met Jeff, interviewed with him. Um, the plan was for me to go to Joseph's home, and that last week at the Home of Grace, I decided uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Decatur. You know, sadly, before I started um, chasing things that I was familiar with again, hanging out with people that I was familiar with again, and uh, you know, the you know the story. Uh, I relapsed, and and things got terrible again. Gotcha. Went to the home of Grace in in March of 2020. I mean, I remember doing a doing a shot of meth uh, at a gas station. 20 minutes before we got to the home of grace. It takes me several days to just get out of this fog of the life that I've been living. You know, it's like, hey, there's this, there's this, you know, COVID has gotten really bad. Um, we're being forced to close the doors of the home of grace. Um, we don't know where you're going to go. We're sorry, but you can't stay here. It wasn't that long that my counselor walked across uh, the campus and found me and said, uh, If you want to go to Joseph's home, Jeff said he's got a bed and he'll come pick you up tomorrow. And, uh, at this, you know, absolutely. Like, um, I have, I have no other options, and that's how good my God is. Because if I would have had other options, I, I might have took them. You know, I had no, uh, I had no idea of of what what to expect, um, but I just knew that that was by far the best thing for me to do. I was in, I was in the best situation that I possibly could have been in. It was like I was at the worst, and then I was at the best. So I go to Joseph's home, and just things things are so good. I, I don't know, you know, it's it's uh, I, I meet Mr. John Peranich and. Start working with him, and he's just, man, I'll tell you what, like that dude, 
is, uh, I mean, he plays such a big part in all of this too. Um, and he probably doesn't even know it, but man, he, he serves the guys at Joseph's home so well. Uh, God just handles everything. And, um, you know, I get, I uh, fast forward a little bit. It, it, it's, it's uh, home of grace opens back up. Um, I go back and, and finish my 90 days. My mom and them come to graduation. Um, but it's, I, you know, I don't even go back home for a day. It's like, uh, they, you know, I, I, I go back straight back to Joseph's home. There, there hasn't been one thing that I would change about any of it. It's just been, it's just been that good. I love Mr. Jeff so much. Like, uh, you know, Joseph's home has just been such a blessing. It's, it's the fact that it's tied to this church. I, uh, me and Haley say it all the time. Like, uh, there, the, the people at Michael Memorial that have always just been at Michael Memorial, they have no idea how blessed they are to have Pastor Tony and the rest of the leaders here at this church. And I know there's people in this church that really don't even know what Joseph's home is. It, it, it's just, it, it provided a safe place um, for, for me to live, to grow, um, to, to establish godly relationships with men, men who have struggled like I struggled, men who are walking with God, um, and and are not afraid to to pour in to people like me. Every everything that's being done at Joseph's home is to bring glory and honor to to, to God. Um, and and Jeff doesn't 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 do anything um, that's outside of um, you know the Spirit leading him to do it. Um, so, and I'm just thankful that, that that this is a part of my story. Amen. It's good. It's good to to be able to have the opportunity to see. We don't just talk about how great God is. We get to see it. We get to see it all the time, right in front of us. And the things that he does here and just the little details that God uses to bring us to the places that he wants us to be and uh, you know I just always knew that this was something that God was going to one day call this church to uh, but I just didn't know when it would be and for years we would pray and it would always be the same thing we wouldn't pray you know, God start this or God do this because we knew he would and we knew he had. We would pray, God, raise up the person. Because we knew that there wouldn't be a place without a person. We needed, we needed somebody who would be willing to, uh, to live there. And there's, there's a lot of us in the church that uh, care. I mean, a lot of us have, have hearts full of compassion and we want to make a difference and we want to do what we can do. But... You're not going to give up your life and move into a house with a bunch of recovering addicts. People like that just don't grow on trees. 
And so we, we prayed and we prayed and, and Jeff showed up and began to see that we thought this was, this was the opportunity. But I needed to wait for God to show it to Jeff and I, and I knew that it wasn't going to work unless God really showed it to Tish. And, uh, <laughs> and so I knew that if she was on board... Because in many ways, it's probably more of a, a challenge for her than it is for Jeff even. And I knew if she was on board, then God was in it. And uh, so I remember they were renting a little house and uh, they invited a, a guy to sleep on their couch. And we were talking about that. And Jeff was in my very first D group. And, uh, and then... Another guy came, and so pretty soon there was a guy on the couch, and there was a mattress on the floor in the hallway, and, uh, you know, I, was, I remember the guy that was sleeping on the floor. Uh, I was talking to him one Wednesday night after church, and he was telling me this story about how, you know, he said, you know, it, I'm grateful, but, I mean, I feel like I'm such a burden, and, you know, uh, Tish got up in the middle of the night and was going to, uh, the house only had one restroom and she was trying to go to the bathroom and he was laying on the floor and he got up and she screamed and he screamed and you know, and I was just thinking to myself like, you know, good gracious, this is going to be challenging. And, uh, and they were just wanting to keep stacking people in there and then uh, we prayed for God to give them a a place with more room, and then a family in our church uh, bought a new house and had a big house available, their previous house, and so then they rented that house, and so that was an opportunity to, you know, put five or six guys in a house, and so they did that for a while, and and then God opened up an opportunity for uh, us to rent another facility, and then a different facility and now we're you know have the capacity to keep about a dozen men uh, safe and minister to them and watch what God does and just to see these stories uh, these stories take place you know that uh, this isn't uh, this isn't just a, a, a little window of time where men come in and spend a year and then go off somewhere but but they're part of our community permanently you know my my next door neighbor and his wife came through the joseph home every day when i'm leaving i'm waving and you know i remember when he didn't have anything and now he's married and has a great job and has a wife and and is just it's incredible and to see the things that God's done in, in so many of these men's lives. And, and they're flourishing and serving within our church and in our community. And, and it all just started, you know, because uh, you just have to be concerned enough to ask or care enough to, to grieve or be convicted enough to pray. Just to respond to what God shows you. And I think... Uh, Look down at Nehemiah. I want to show you something. When you look down towards the end of his prayer, I want you to look at verse 11. 
Look at what he says in verse 11. Nehemiah prays, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. So when he says, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, what is Nehemiah praying? Nehemiah has, has transitioned from simply praying about something that could be, something that should be, something that God... See, so oftentimes we pray, God, would you just do this because it needs to be done? But Nehemiah's transitioned. And now... He's committed enough to get involved. See, he's praying that God would move on his behalf before this man who is the king. He's not praying that somebody else would do something. He's saying, I'm willing to step into this moment. I'm willing to respond to what God's shown me and believe that not I, but God can do this. It doesn't have anything to do with Nehemiah. It has everything to do with God. And you see, the pattern of Christianity is, is that our lives are a constant call to leave our comfort zone. That's what Christianity is. I mean, Nehemiah was comfortable. He was stable. He, he had the, the, the best possible life an exile could have. All the comfort and the security of being in the palace and all the food he needed to eat. And, and yet God had shown him something that needed to be mended. And he knew that God was a God who mends broken things. And when we see broken things, when God shows us things, he's not showing us things for somebody else. He's showing us things for us. Henry Blackaby calls this the crisis of belief. It's the moment that we understand that God wants us to do or to decide whether or not we're willing to do what he's showing us. You know, it's that moment where we're, are we going to trust God or are we going to trust our own plan? Which way are we going to go? So... I think we should think about it this way. The Christian life is not about finding safety and comfort, but it's about finding yourself in a dangerous place of vulnerable compassion. Because it, it feels so... You, you know the danger of, of great burden and that just having that vulnerable compassion, that it, it's not about... It's not about who God uses, but it's about who God wants to transform. And that we're just a vessel. We're just a, we're just a, a, a piece that God's using to accomplish his great goal. And when you think about Jesus and you think about how the most common criticism that Jesus faced was the fact that he spent time with sinners. That he was always around people that were uh, different than what people thought he should be around. That he was always associating with those that were unwelcomed and unappreciated in society. People who were nothing like Jesus love to be with Jesus. And that's what I love about Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus. And I, I like to be around people that want to be like Jesus. And I love getting to be a part of a church filled with people that want to be like Jesus. 
That's, what, that's what's so amazing about this whole conversation. You know, the people that felt the least welcomed in the temple felt the most comfortable around Jesus. So we've always said that we're not a church that's about building our own kingdom. We're not trying to be the biggest church. We're not trying to, to uh, draw attention to ourselves or do anything that would lead to our own glory. But we just want to be a church that's faithful. We just want to be a church that makes a difference where, where we are and that responds to the things that God shows us. And I think one of the defining marks of this place is that it's a safe place for anyone and everyone to be in process. To come and, and start walking. To be a church where people can, can come in and you can limp. It's okay. You can stumble. But as we slowly walk together towards Jesus, the key is, is that we're surrounded by others who are walking beside us in the same direction, encouraging us because we understand that we're all in the process. None of us have arrived. But it's something that we have to fight to keep. Because if we're not intentional, if we take our eyes off it, what happens is it just becomes something that we can talk about. That we can, you know, we can just let other people take care of it. We can just let, let other places do it. That we can, we can, where we don't have to see it. That's not what God called us to. We've got to be rooted in the reality that Jesus came to rebuild what is broken. And so I think for us, we, we, wanna, we never want to believe that we're so far down the path with Christ that we forget what it was like to be broken. No matter how long I walk with God, I don't ever want to lose sight of what it was like when I didn't know it. Because it keeps my heart raw for those who don't. And I say this, that churches without broken people are broken churches. And whatever anybody else does, that's their thing. And You know, everybody thinks that the church that they go to is the greatest church. That's why they go there, right? And I always tell people, hey, I'm grateful for that. That's great. I'm glad. And uh, I normally don't try to convince people how great this church is. I just let you live it out and we just walk it out and let God do what he wants to do. But it's a special place. It's a special place. And uh, this one day I, I sat back and I thought, you know, God, we've been grinding away at this thing and it's time to take the next step. And so here's what I want you to pray about. I want you to be aware of where we are and what we are asking God for going forward. And uh, I feel pretty confident that 
what my father-in-law used to always say is, was true then and it's true now. Uh, we got good news and we got bad news. The good news is that we have everything we need to take the Joseph home to the next step of where it needs to be. The bad news is, is that you still possess it and haven't given it up yet. So, this is what I want you to pray about. First of all, we need a piece of land. In order to do what God's called us to do, we're completely out of space. The, built, the place we're in now, we're renting. We need a piece of property. We need at least five acres, maybe ten, maybe more. But enough space to where uh, not only we can put a facility that can house 20 or 30 men, but where they have room to grow their own food and uh, do other things. We, we have dreams about a women's campus. We have dreams about being able to minister to couples and things of that nature. But the immediate need right now is we need a piece of property. So I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray about uh, who might it be that helps us acquire this piece of property and how you might be a part of that process. The second thing I'm asking you to do is to give. We want to give a love offering today for the Joseph home. We want to put our financial support behind them. Um, God has been faithful to provide for their needs, but it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. And uh, you, everyone in this room, for the most part, uh, if you give a dollar to this church, then you already support the Joseph home because we as a, as a congregation support this ministry. But what we want to do is take up a love offering above and beyond that and just to be able to uh, give them a little bit of uh, cushion, knowing that going forward, they, it, it's not, you know, there's things that they need that they haven't been able to do because they don't have the resources to do anything extra. So we want to be a blessing to them in that way. And, uh, you know, you can go on Realm and give, and you can see there, There's uh, you can just click on Joseph Home and you can give to that. And uh, So next week I'll tell you how much we gave. And whatever God leads you to give, you, you do that. And we'll, we're going to present that to him and be grateful for that. The little things like uh, the golf tournament that's coming up in November. There's material out in the foyer for that. That's how they survive outside of our monthly uh, commitment to them is uh, just by doing things. They have a food truck. They're constantly uh, working, doing whatever they can do, serving, helping. And a lot of times they're serving within this body, but all of that is just uh, free of charge, helping widows or shut-ins or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I want you to pray about how God would, would lead you to be a part of this process. You can take one of those envelopes, you can write a check, you can drop it in the uh, giving station on your way out, or you can give online, or whatever the case may be, but I want you to do that. And then uh, when we get a piece of property, then we'll start the process of uh, just putting a building on it and, uh, and, and have a permanent home where we can minister to, to more people. The hardest part about this ministry is saying no to all the people we can't take. I mean, it's, 
when I was watching Colby's videos, thinking so many things and thinking of all the times that there were people, you know, just like him in that moment, but we had to say no because we didn't have a place uh, for them to be. Um, but I remember the day I walked into the home of Grace and uh, to do chapel, and there was this guy, trust me, you wouldn't recognize him today, but he was banging away on the piano, and it, he had just, you know, could tell he was just learning how to play it. And I walked over there and introduced myself, and I said, what's your name? And he said, Colby, and I said, well, you, you, you know how to play the guitar, I mean, the piano? And he said, well, I'm trying to learn, and I said, okay, and uh, he started singing. When he got done singing, I walked over to him and I said, uh, hey, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a nurse. And I said, well, you should quit that. <laughs> because nurses can't sing like that. That is for the glory of God. Having no idea that he'd become part of this family. Now he's married to his beautiful wife, Haley, and just we get to see him. They're raising his girls and doing life. And so I want the musicians to come back up here. And here's what we're going to do you stay seated, and we're going to do this song to close the service. And this is a song that Colby wrote. And uh, I want you to just sit and take these lyrics in. Uh, take this message in as you pray about how God would have you uh, support what he's doing among us through this ministry. So I love you. Thank you. What a blessing it is. This is a celebration of God's goodness and his faithfulness. Amen. with what is best for me no matter what the cost I do all I can to satisfy the cravings of my heart and I'm tired of feeling empty I'm tired of causing pain I'm tired of spinning circles I'm tired of the same old same Jesus set me free of me only Jesus can satisfy my needs he alone is worthy and able to rescue me only Oh. 
And I'm 